So our reading comes from first book of Peter, chapter 2. The heading there is the living stone and a chosen people. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone, the builders rejected, has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into, this, into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Thank you, Henny. Um, please keep your Bibles open. We're going to keep referring back to that passage. We're also going to refer to a few others, um, but, but that's a good spot for you to keep your bookmark so that you can keep up with where we're at. And um, maybe you can just make a note of the other passages that I refer to and go back and check them a bit later. Uh, ever since we've moved into our house, we've been there for almost two years now, uh, Melinda's had a plan, uh, a plan to put in a veggie garden somewhere in the backyard. Now I, I say Melinda, this is Melinda's plan very deliberately because it's her idea, she's driving this, um, because I don't really want to do it. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a lot of work to put in veggie gardens, it's a lot of cost, it's a lot of effort, um, and I say if you want to kill plants, there's already plenty to choose from. You can start with the weeds, kill them first. We don't have to go to the effort of putting in a veggie garden. But see, it's not only that, is it? I mean, if we want veggies, which we do, like we eat veggies, uh, if we want veggies, it's just so much easier um, and even more cost-effective just to go down to the shop, isn't it? Like they have a wonderful range of veggies at the shop. They have very good quality veggies at the shop uh, and they're probably cheaper too. If we want veggies, we don't have to put a veggie garden in to get them. We can just go and buy them. It's so much easier. Now, despite that being a very plainly obvious truth, um, I know lots of people have veggie gardens. I know most of you have veggie gardens. You're probably sharpening the knives for me, anti-veggie garden person that I am. Um, but we don't have them because they're convenient, do we? <laughs> well, I don't think we do. Uh, we don't have them because they're cost-effective, do we? We have veggie gardens because they're enjoyable. Uh, we have veggie gardens because sometimes doing things the hard way is actually good. Sometimes doing things the most easy or convenient way isn't the best way. Um, that's why I, I brew my own beer. I said it was because it was cheap. It's not cheap. <laughs> it's not a cost-saving measure. Um, it's why some people make their own clothes. 
It's why some people make their own bread or do all sorts of things around the house. See, we do things so often, not necessarily because it's the best way to do it or the cheapest or most convenient way, but because there's something good in doing it. There's something special in the process. Now, we could say the same of God, couldn't we? Um, Over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about uh, that need that there is to proclaim God's name, to tell everyone about how good he is and about all that he's done in Jesus. But really, if, if, if we stop and think about it, <laughs> there's a lot of ways God could do that, isn't there? I, I actually had a lot of fun this week sitting down and thinking, you know, what could God do to tell people about himself? That There's all sorts of things. You imagine the 6 a.m. wake-up call from God. This is who I am every morning. He could do it, couldn't he? Or you imagine, you know, every evening as the, the, the sun starts to set in the, in the western sky, you know, all the clouds line up as a Bible verse. He could do it. <laughs> like, uh, you know, he could write his name on every little thing that he's made. So, you know, you, you look at an animal or a plant or anything that he's made and made by God. He could write that there. Just let your mind go. There's all sorts of things. We won't do it all now because we'd be here forever. But all of those things and so many more. He could do that. He could proclaim his name in any number of ways, very effectively, very publicly, very easily. But he hasn't. How has God chosen to work? Well, he has chosen to work through his people. That's what we're looking at today. It's, it's not that the work doesn't matter, it does. Proclaiming his powerful word, his life-bringing and transforming work, that matters it is essential. And out of all the ways that God has cho- could have chosen to do that, he has chosen to do it through his people. The hard way. We've seen, uh, we've seen the P's, haven't we? He's given a word to proclaim, first P. He's given us prayer to call on his help, second P. And today we see he's chosen his people, third P, to do it. What's our place in that? Well, today we find out. Now, we know that it's God's plan to do it this way um, because throughout the Bible, he's kept telling us it's his plan to do it this way. Uh, We can go back all the way almost to the start, uh, to Exodus chapter 19, really important chapter in the Bible. uh, And it is the first time there in Exodus 19 that God's people are all together. You remember, he's rescued them up out of Egypt. He's done it through all those amazing Uh, plagues and miracles he's done it through the Red Sea but most importantly through uh, covering them by the blood of the lamb to save them up out of there and now he gathers them together at the foot of Mount Sinai and they're all there as a nation for the very first time and he's there on the mountain speaking to them and this is what he says out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession although the whole earth is mine you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He's saying, you guys, you guys are special. You're special because I've saved you, special because I've chosen you, and special because of the role I'm giving you now. You, as a people, are like my priests. You know, the the priest is the place or the person who represents God. It's a place where people get to know God. And he says, you as a nation are like that. You are like priests to the entire world. So if the world wants to know about me or wants to learn about me, you are the ones to do that job. You are my priests. And how do you think that went? 
Well, the next 20 or so books of the Bible are a story about how badly it went because Israel failed that epically. Uh, You get to the book of Ezekiel and you find God even lamenting to them. He says, you were supposed to show the world how good I am. But all you've done is show them, uh, and now, now everyone just thinks that I'm bad because you're so bad. You've done the exact opposite of what you were supposed to do. And yet despite that massive failure, God doesn't actually abandon that plan. Despite you know, all the disaster that Israel did and were, he still says to them this, and you find it in Isaiah chapter 12, verse 4. He, he's talking about a day that's going to come when things are going to change. This is what he says. In that day, you will say, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done and proclaim that his name is exalted. A day is going to come when you are going to return to your original purpose and you're actually going to do it. (laughs) It's actually going to work. And now in what we just read and what Henny just read for us before, we see that God's original plan, which failed, which he still spoke about, has now come to pass. And Peter says, in all places, it's come to pass in the church. It's right there at the end of the passage. Peter said, God has brought you together. He's building you up as this special house established on Jesus. And this is who you are. It's there in verse 9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You hear the similarities, don't you? He's saying what God said to Israel in Exodus, that's now you, the church. That's you. Same job. Declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. See, he's saying the church is not like some accidental side effect of what God has done. It's not as though God said, I'm going to save people And he did, and then, you know, all of a sudden the church kind of popped up here. He's like, yeah, that's pretty cool. No, what Peter's saying is the church is not incidental to God's plan. It is essential to it. It's right at the heart of it, right from the beginning. See, God has always intended to gather a people for himself to proclaim his name, to proclaim his work to the whole world. That's always been his plan. That's always his chosen way to work. And now that's us, the, the church, through all times and places, represented here in our church. God's saying, we're his billboard, we're his megaphone to speak his word, to proclaim him to the world. That's <laughs> an astonishing plan, isn't it? It's, it's, I mean, it's kind of a bizarre plan, but it's, it's incredible. And what a privilege it is to be at the centre of God's plan to declare his praises to this world. Here's a question. How much do we see ourselves in that way? How much do we think about us and our church in that way? Hold that question. Uh, as, as you know, I've, I mean, I've said it enough. Uh, I'm into mountain bike riding. I've been into it for a couple of years. Uh, but not only... Do I, I, I like riding my bike. There's kind of a whole thing that goes with it. And part of that, that whole mountain biking thing is drooling over stuff that you don't have. It's, it's all part and parcel. Uh, you know, there's drooling over the gear that you don't have. There's drooling over these flash bikes that you see advertised everywhere and obscene prices. It's, it's, it's all part of it. Um, 
And it's why uh, a, a, a photo I saw a little while ago um, got me quite steamed up. It, it made me quite agitated and angry. Uh, I couldn't find the photo again, it, you know, looking for something on the internet, it's like finding a needle in a stack of needles, but I'll describe the photo to you. Uh, it was a picture of a bike. Uh, it was a bike attached to a bike rack um, in what looked like Amsterdam. There were dozens and dozens of other bikes around. But this bike was not just any bike. Uh, it was a top-of-the-line, uh, full-carbon um, name brand. It was, a, it was a Santa Cruz, I think, you know, a bit of a boutique -y sort of brand. We're talking like at least $12,000 worth of bike. This, this is a nice, nice bike. But this very poor bike, it was in beautiful condition, let me just say that. It was, it was really well looked after, but this poor bike, someone had swapped out its lean, very light and functional carbon handlebars with really high cruiser bars, you know, that you see on, no offence, an older person's bike. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I, I didn't know how, how to say that any other way. <laughs> it had, you know, the big bar ends for, you know, when your hands get tired. It had little streamers off the ends of the bars. Someone had taken the incredibly knobby uh, off-road tyres and replaced them with nice, smooth slicks for on the road. The, um, the, the, the really light uh, and spiky pedals designed to grip your shoes, they've been replaced with big, wide, plastic pink pedals. It had clinkers on the spokes. It had a basket hanging over the front. It had luggage racks on the back. It, it just, I mean, even talking about it, it gets me agitated. It's a travesty, because that bike is not meant for that. That bike is meant to be thrown down the craziest mountains upon impossible lines. Uh, it's supposed to be being flung over enormous jumps and drops and done all sorts of crazy things. It is a bike designed to be unleashed in the wildest of places, not coddled as a daily to the shops for milk cruiser. I mean, it's, it's, it's infuriating. It, it drives you insane. It drives me insane, I should say. Is there a risk that God could look at the church the same way? Or is there a risk that we could do the same to the church? Remember, the church is his priesthood to the world. It's, it's meant to be out there, striking new ground, uh, breaking into new places. It's supposed to be lean and active and outward-looking. It is designed to be unleashed. To, to take the world to all sorts of places, wild and crazy and, and weird places, to proclaim him. Is there a risk that we would domesticate it? That we would tie it down with trappings and stuff and interfere with its, its original purpose? That we might just squabble over its decor? That we might spend our time thinking just how the church could be how I like it. Comfortable for me. Where I can come and just enjoy it. That's why we need these passages, isn't it? We need this reminder, this is what the church is. The church is about prayerfully proclaiming the word. That's not something that just happens every now and again. That's essential. That's who we are. That's what we are about as a church. I mean, it should be the first question in everything we do. How is this sharing or proclaiming this word? 
It should be the number one thing on all our agendas, whether personal or, or, or program. It, how will this promote speaking the word more and doing what God has intended us to do? Because that's the reason we exist. This is not a country club. There's lots of great things that happen by being together. It's wonderful to have a community and to know each other. But that's not just our purpose. Our purpose is to grow and make disciples by prayerfully proclaiming God's word. And every time we lose sight of that, we fall short of God's plan for us. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about what that looks like in the things that you want for our church or the things you want to change about our church. I want you to think about it in your prayers for our church, in the ways you're involved in and serve our church. I want you, as, as I do, to ask yourself, how am I pursuing what God wants for this church? How will this, how will what I'm doing be part of his plan to proclaim his word because that's what we're created to be about that's what the church is gathered to be about growing up in maturity out in number by all of God's people prayerfully proclaiming his word knowing that purpose it reframes how we look at things doesn't it it's a mind shift, a paradigm shift for all that we do. You know, we say, well, I'm going to connect this week, uh, not because it's the right thing to do or because I should do. Uh, I'm going because it's God's plan that as we proclaim his word together as a group, his church grows. I'm going to start up a Bible reading partnership because it's God's plan to grow his people as they meet together under his word. I'm going to invite that person to come to church or that person to read the Bible with me because it's God's plan to build his church as people like me do those sorts of things. He has gathered us and he has unified us in our purpose, proclaiming his word. That's us, that's us as individuals in this church. And yet, there's many ways to skin a cat, isn't there? I had to wait to say that because until Amira was gone, because she's very fond of cats. I'd be distressed to hear that saying. But there are many ways to skin a cat. There's many ways to approach this conversation, isn't there? Because don't, don't misunderstand what, what we're pushing at here, what, what this is describing. All of God's people share this one role, speaking his word. We're, we're united in that. But we don't all do it the same way. I mean, it'd be kind of dumb if we did. You know, imagine if we came to church so that 80 people could all preach. <laughs> that would be, be tedious, let's be honest. We, we, we're not all preachers. We're not all Bible study leaders. We're not all elders. We're not all whatever. But we are all speakers. Speakers of God's word in a whole diverse bunch of ways. That's why whenever you read the Bible, you'll see the way it talks about the church. You know, you see the pictures that it uses for the church and it's almost always a picture that reinforces that diversity isn't it uh, one of the most famous pictures the bible uses is that picture of the body uh, paul describes it in first corinthians 12 uh, through 14 the church is a body that is completely unified you know one body but totally diverse made up of a whole bunch of different parts 
Now, the problem is with that picture, we think, well, I'm a part, not a mouth. You know, so I don't have to speak. I, I'm a hand, I'm a foot, maybe, maybe a pinky or an appendix. But what we need to do is look at how actually Paul writes that and how the Bible talks about that body. Uh, we see it there in, in Corinthians 12, verse, uh, chapter 12 through chapter 14. He, he, he draws out his argument. He says, yes, one body. Yes, lots of different parts, lots of different gifts, lots of different abilities. And yet, what does he draw that argument through to? What does he emphasize? He says at the end of the day, all of that, but all speaking, all talking. Well, we saw it in Ephesians 4 a couple of weeks ago. Again, a whole body growing up as each part does its work. And yet there's one work that every part of it shares, regardless of its gifts or desires or abilities, that work speaking the truth in love. See, we are all gifted in different and wonderful ways. It's, it's brilliant. I love seeing all of you do the things that come naturally to you, the, the, the gifts that you've got from God. That's, that's a beautiful thing about the church. And yet, despite all of that, we all share this one thing, speaking the truth in love. Uh, maybe, maybe you can think of it like those choose-your-own-adventure books. Um, I don't know if you ever came across those. Uh, I never really, I mean, personally, I never really liked them. The, the story was never all that good. But, but, but you know how it works. You, know, you, you start the book, you're, you know, everyone starts the book in the same place. And as you're reading, you get to a point you know, after a couple of chapters, and it, it, it has a choice. But you as the reader have to make that choice. You know, Bob does so-and-so, skip to chapter four. Or Bob does so-and-so, skip to chapter six. And then the story picks up. And your choices actually influence how the story works out and it influences where you end up. You, you, you stay in the same book, but you have different paths through that book. And it's kind of the same way in the church. We all stay in the church, we all stay inside that purpose of speaking the word, but we choose different paths through it. We have different paths through it. Some of you are, are incredibly gifted at just being able to speak the word really naturally in conversations. Um, sometimes outside of the church, sometimes inside of the church. That's amazing. Keep at it. Some of you are really gifted at being able to write the word, you know, really encouraging and really helpful and timely ways, whether it's a card or a letter or, or however, to those who need it. Let's celebrate that. That's good. Some of you have uh, a knack at really understanding the word and being able to communicate it particularly to certain groups of people, perhaps the elderly, perhaps the non-Christian, perhaps kids. You know, that, that's a wonderful thing. Do it. Some have the ability, incredible ability, to be able to you know, pick the truth from lies, to really analyse something and discern what's good and right. That is a wonderful gift. Use it. And we, and we could go on. You see, that, that giftedness, that great variety that exists amongst us, that's why we prize doing things together, isn't it? That's why we, we, we love getting together for church or for Bible reading partnerships or for connect groups. Because there, when we come together, that diversity that we have, it sings. You know, it's, it's like an orchestra of gifts coming together to play something far more beautiful and wonderful than any single instrument can make play by itself. So how do you know what your thing is? What do you do? 
Well, there's all sorts of ways you can do that. There's, there's gift-finding courses and, and all that sort of stuff. But I think it's actually quite simple. If you want to know where your place is to share God's word, just ask yourself, where do I find myself? Where am I during the week? Because it's no accident. It's God who's put you there. What opportunities might you have right in front of you? You know, in the regular chat you have with your neighbour, in the regular group that you go to every week, your regular workplace and people that you see there. Ask, ask, ask yourself, what times do I have? All of you have different schedules, you know, some ranging from very full to less full. Ask yourself, what, what times do I have? What are, the, what are the snippets in my day? Where are the places that I might have a chance to, to de develop that into a place to speak and share God's word? Ask yourself, what sort of things do I gravitate towards? You know, where, where do I find myself going back to? What are the things that, that excite me and that enthuse me? How can I inject them with and, ma and make them word things? Oh, look, I, I get it. Sometimes that self-reflection is really hard. Uh, I'm not the most self-reflective person going around. And so ask someone. It's amazing the insights that people, other people can have in your lives. It's amazing the opportunities that they can see or that they can help you see. But it is for all of us. Uh, Paul says of the church in Rome, he, um, he writes to them, I'm convinced uh, that you're competent to teach one another. And I'm convinced that of you. Uh, I've heard from so many of you. I've heard so many of you talking about the Bible. I know that you can handle it well. I know that you can understand it and, and, and figure it out and therefore speak about it. I know that the Spirit will help you to do that. Now, if you're not convinced of that... Let's take steps to help you be. And you can do it in your connect. Maybe, maybe take time this year to do a training series. There's some great ones out there. Do uh, six steps to reading your Bible. It just gives you some really straightforward tips to how to understand the Bible well in order to help others do the same. You could do something like the Bible Overview course that just gives you a great picture of the Bible in its entirety so you can understand how it all fits together. Or come and have a chat to me. Uh, in a few weeks' time, we're going to launch a training course with the very imaginative title of Help Me Teach the Bible. <laughs> it took me hours to think of that. I actually flogged it from someone else. Um, but, but what we're going to do is just learn how to do exactly that. Understand the Bible from the very nuts and bolts of that process uh, in order that we can help other people understand it. There's no prior training assumed. We're just going to get together and learn it and learn to teach it whether that's in Sunday school or Connect or Bible reading partnerships or service leading or preaching, wherever it might be. What we can't say is, it's too hard. I'm not good at that. Because God says it's not, and God says you are. We can teach old dogs new tricks. We can teach young dogs new tricks as well. So let's learn this one for the good of our church and the fulfilment of God's plan. Because that's the growing church. The people of God prayerfully proclaiming his word. That's the loving church speaking and learning it together. 
It's not weird, it's not new, it's not groundbreaking. It's God's eternal plan for us. And I mean that word eternal. It's the church today, it's the church as he designed it thousands of years ago, and it's the church as it will be thousands of years into the future, no matter what comes. We get that picture at the end of the, end of the Bible, Revelation 7, that, that snapshot of the end, what do we see there? We see a great multitude from every tribe, tongue, nation, people, all of God's people gathered around his throne, and what are they doing? They are proclaiming his word. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That is God's eternal plan. And we can be part of that work today. You don't have to just look forward to that happening. You can join in now, here. So let's do it. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, it is truly staggering when we think of it that out of so many ways you could have chosen to proclaim your word, uh, you've chosen the church. You've chosen your people. You've chosen our church to be your amazing plan. Uh, Lord, it's, it's incredible to think that we are part of that plan, that plan that stretches throughout eternity to proclaim your word and to see it grow your people Father, forgive us for when we've fallen short of that. Forgive us when our thinking and our acting has fallen short, when we've uh, drifted into making church all about us and all about our ways instead of about you and your ways. Father, we pray for your help. We pray for your help that we would be a proclaiming church, that we would be proclaiming people. We pray for your help that your word would be soaking through everything that we do, that it would fill our conversations, that it would fill our programs, that it would fill our culture, that we would be all about you. And Father, we pray that as we do that, you would work powerfully through it. We pray that as we speak to one another, as we speak in our groups during the week, as we speak to our neighbours and our friends, to the, everyone we meet, we pray that your word would bring fruit, that it would bring growth, both up in maturity and outwards in number. Father, please do this work as your word is proclaimed. Please do it by your great power all around us for your great glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.